The Unstarving Artist book is available now at unstarvingartistbook.com. John, how you doing? Good man, how about you? I'm doing really well. It's so good to see you. It's been, um, you know, we were just talking before we got started. It's been probably nine months or a year since we got together. Last time you and I were connecting, you had some, I think, maybe comic cons you were going to, some NFT projects. Um, catch me up. What's been going on in the last year for you? Well, uh, long story short, well, actually, it's not going to be a speed of two hours, but <laughs> obviously you saw the, uh, you know, the profound disruption in crypto space, which still hasn't settled itself out a little bit. So the NFT projects, whether they are shelves or whether they've disappeared, they've been annihilated into subspace. Right. Exactly. Sure. Because it's a peculiar space to engage with under perfect circumstances. So, uh, the two that I was working on, one, uh, has gone away because of Binance was on a Canadian creator, uh, Binance is having some issues with regulation in Canada, but curiously, they're also interested in bringing us on board as, uh, creators in-house. As a result of this, the whole nonsense and talk at this point, it's just blather around a coffee house, really just noise, noise and shouting. And the other one that has essentially vaporized, but they did give me the opportunity to take the property. If I see fit, with the material that we've created, uh, and migrate it to uh, other media, this chicken titan is very clear. Okay. Really, I'm allowed to shop it. As a co-creator, and if we hit on something, like some of this is all oh, this would be great TV series, because it's really built that way. It's built as a storytelling, uh, as a storytelling team, uh, open source. So if something goes with that, then it started out as an NFT, but it's migrated. Uh, I see it as, as a more of a fantastic animated series. With the idea. Cool. Um, and I have enough friends in that space that there's a possibility there of actually pipeline. So to John, I just realized like I bet a lot of people in my audience don't know too much about you. Why don't you just briefly give a little bit of a, an intro about who you are, maybe some of the things that you've done they might know so they can kind of set the context of well, the our conversation. Story. Yeah. Well, I was in high school and I went to a lab and this is still Mary Jane. So. No, many years ago, <laughs> I, started out, I started out like every monster kid. Uh, I grew up reading comic books and watching monster movies, playing hockey and getting in trouble. Drove in small town to St. Marie, which is in the St. Marie's steel belt of Northern Ontario. Okay. Juncture of the three great lakes. And I grew up with mystery behind me and wonder in front of nothing but woods behind me that I had spent every day exploring some energy and, and like superior and funny depthlessness. So as a kid with, with fictive activity, uh, you know, and an overactive imagination, uh, it was the perfect greeting ring for whatever this game happened to me, uh, I guess, the fashion. Uh, so you so said it's a very strong foundation. The foundational two funds were all there. It's the Uvm team brain space. And fly forward many years later, I finished high school and I did well enough in high school. I was a popular student. Look at you, Bradley's kid. I say it's clear. Popular and had lots of friends across all the little twigs. I, but I was a hardcore punk kid. Right? So I've had that. 
uh, the energy of punk rock, the kind of DIY ethos, you know, the bootstrap it, do it yourself. Listen, if somebody's not publishing a comic that you like, make your own. You know what I mean? Like a very much, uh, Colin Spunny, he spoke aesthetic. Well, it's kind of ingrained in me very early because of the child of modest means. Didn't have access to much other than what I could create. Uh, so I graduated high school, did very well in school, had plenty of options. Were you into illustration at yeah, that was, early age? I was drawing all the time. I never stopped. That was. Do you honestly. remember when that started? When I started, when I could pick up a pencil, when I could manually operate a marking instrument of any kind and any surface was open seizing for you. So I was the kid who drew on the walls. I was the kid who was sitting in the bathroom drawing on the wall. I was that unhinged, uh, lean ticket with any marking at school. And I'm sure I could be diagnosed with any number of syndromes as a result of this. Sure. <laughs> with all of this, but it was really, I was just replicating what I was, what I was bringing in. Cause when you're young, it's just a pipeline. It's just nothing but wonderful inputs in every possible place. And which is emulating what I was reading in comic books and in seeing new teachers thought I was very troubled. Because I was, you know, we'd have Halloween stories and they're like, ah, I decapitated this guy and I'd make it like first person. They're like, okay. I said, no, I'm just watching a movie on the weekend. Active imagination, right? <laughs> just like literally watch a movie on the weekend. And, and it was unregulated back in the seventies. They had these, these creature features where it was like two movies on a Saturday afternoon. Totally inappropriate for children. There's all these seventies hammer movies. So everything is like vivisection and dismemberment to decapitation. It's like three o'clock on a Saturday and you're like, Hey, this is my internet. So basically it was like, uh, Saturday afternoons after cartoons were like, you know, 4chan in the early days and just unregulated. Wow. So I'm sure that that wasn't healthy. Clear. Um. But what it did is it, is it engaged, uh, you know, like neural pathways that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been devoted to image creation, uh, and to be able to have easy access to my id. So, uh, I, I really can't explain it other than to say that that's what happened. That was the template in which to solve it. So circle back to high school. Uh, Graduated and went to art school. How did you decide to go to art school? How? Yeah. Art, art wouldn't let me go. Here's a fun story. Did you have teachers that encouraged you? Yeah, I was. Or nudged I was, you? I, I was. The thing about it is when you're, when you're a teenager, you're looking for anything to stand out. To get a mohawk, that's one way. You know, if you're sort of a last thing, that's another. Uh, I often have two things going for me. I could draw like the son of the dick. And I could play hockey like a god. Though I had these two things going at the same time, which people shouldn't quite understand. They're like, how can you be an artist? Most be hockey players. Why the fuck can't I be? Allowed to be whatever I want. This isn't of uh, I don't think there's rules here. I think you're allowed to be the thing you're excellent at. And so to have great enthusiasm for both and a natural aptitude 
for hockey. I was built for it. I knew how to play the game. I had an intuitive sense of play, uh, next level achievement. And the same with art. I just knew how to do this stuff. Now I didn't know how to do it perfectly. Obviously, you know, I had to gain nothing in the initial, uh, level of expertise that I got attention for it, which when you're trying to find your unique signature in the world and you're coming up and just a young strapling looking for whatever's going to make attention or whatever brother is going to give you intention and purpose as an adult. Uh, I knew I didn't want to be a professional athlete. It was like, step back. But what it did is, is it baked into my DNA, uh, an absolutely mandatory commitment to a work ethic. Uh, now I can say that this has served me every day since because I've never had that, you know, artist block and there had, I can say fairly, I've never had, I don't always get the best solution, but you just get up and be the Because of your hockey background. It's just like, you don't, no one gives a shit. If you don't want to do a bag skate, you're doing one or you're off the team. That's like literally it. As, What's as, a bag skate? As reductionist as that yeah. is, as pedantic as it is, it's like a bag skate is when you skate till you're part. Till you're back. Like you have nothing left. You play. Like suicide runs, but it's really on really, skates. Like well, yeah. in the military, you do, to do bag runs. Right, full equipment, and you just run till you pass it. So it's, just, it's a similar sort of orchard, but you share it as a crew, so it's, it's bonding. But so when I finished high school, I went, I said, no, art's the only thing that's speaking to you. And it's also the path less chosen. Um, and that comes back to punk rock to be it yourself. Don't listen to what other people are saying because they don't blame now. My family had no precedent for it. Uh, my family's working class. Uh, a lot of tradesmen and, uh, you know, the buzzers and steel flats. So there wasn't, uh, I didn't have a mentor in that sense. It's somebody who would be able to, uh, give informed wise guidance, uh, which I consider a huge discouragement. Uh, it's not a regret. I mean, it's, it's a reason, uh, but that's why I. And cherish being a mentor being to a young artist was just a little, little bit of inspiration here and there, a little bit of guidance. And also of course, to my daughter, these, my prize two things. Okay. And so I look at it like the art, the art was the only thing that was talking to me in a voice I could understand and potentially learn for a lifetime. Because that's what, what did your, what did your parents do for a living? Uh, my mom was a secretary at, uh, she, she had a number of Disney dogs. She was executive secretary. When I came along, James, she was a, a scholastic prodigy who had skipped a number of grades and was doing edits towards and the doctor. So my mom had that skills to pay the bills and she did what many single moms have to do. Is she sacrificed uh, her highest house for Adrian for, for charity to me. And I said, well, one thing I won't do is let you down. This I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. I, you. I can be a son. You can be better. <laughs> Avoided a lot of the pitfalls and, uh, challenges that comes as single therapy. Um, 
never said that. But I can see you didn't, why you say you might've not had much mentorship if, you know, your mom cared for you, but maybe didn't have exposure to the creative industry or the art world. I bet she, right. and, and it's no disservice to her rest in peace. Uh, she did the very, very best she did. And I right. that, I sense that and you're still there. Um, but I was on my own. I was in a, in a territory without a roadmap. And it's also coming up in the eighties. Uh, I realized that's a very, that's a happy accident in the timing. But when I went to art school, I only lasted a year and I lost out because art school at the time, um, I wasn't real, wasn't particularly fond of either academic direction and the academic direction will sit in the nicest possible terms was conceptually driven. And that's not concept design. That is entirely given on it. This is more, let's pursue ideas rather than representation, execution, and storytelling, which are things that I'm very interested in. Interested in storytelling. Not, listen, if I put a television on a pedestal in the middle of a dark room and stuff, but static, that's not man to be mad. That's fucking bullshit. So I'd be like, you're excusing the fact that you have no ability. You don't want to work at this, which flashes me forward to how every AI artist seems to talk about these things. He's just like, I don't want to actually devote time and have responsibility for what I do. So all I'm going to do is make up a bunch of nonsense and find enough sycophants to kiss my hands. It's an interesting thing. I mean, I don't, I'll be a pause on this for a second because Obviously there'll be some people listening who agree and disagree, but yeah, there, there does seem to be like, there's a space in the art world for things that are just untethered from reality and they kind of get flushed out of other, I think, fields. <laughs> well, why do you think that is? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I think it's fluid with a lot of skill over. I, I, I propose that, but people lead with the thing that provides them the most comfort and the least strife and yeah. being surrounded by, by dreadful work, uh, spun by idiots to impress morons. And, and I, and I mean that in the nicest possible way. Some people just don't know if their first exposure is to what they see to be the, the creative experience is some, you know, culture vulture standing in the middle of a gallery that of course it's all white, uh, will start lighting and holding court with an artist statement. Sure. That has a place. Let's have a choice if I'd ever really just act or have anything but like, wow, seems to work for you guys. And that's great if it does. Um, I just washed my hands entirely of it. And I just had a bad experience in college. I I realized moving the the needle forward, it may have been different five years later. It may have been changing times and flavors as digital uh, found its foot in. School, but this is all still analog. But it seems like, I mean, it's, it's one thing to learn the rules, learn the discipline, become proficient and then find and poke and prod and figure out where to break the rules. But it sounds like you almost were like being exposed to like, Hey, there are no rules. There's no discipline. Like, well, well hang out. <laughs> I loathed it because what they wanted is, is it became like, I, I come from a culture of, of, uh, and this may just, again, Harken back, of course, to, to my working class roots and all the, not necessarily great things that come with that, 
but in terms of, of a work ethic, but the work, you, it's a job. Yeah. Everyone's going to say, cool. Yeah, sure. Sure. It is absolutely because you get to do the thing you love, but the thing you love is also, you know, the albatrosses of tenants because you, you are still required to wear the burden. You're still required to do the work. You're still required to deliver at a high level. And that requires a discipline, not motivation, not, you know, a temporary serotonin hit that requires discipline. And that's muscle memory. That is repetition 10,000 times over 20,000 hours again and again and again and again. And I, I'm not reward oriented. I'm task oriented. I want to solve problems and you know, nice material things. I don't suffer in that regard at all, but I've earned them. In the sense that I put my 20,000 hours in and then said, okay, I'm going to buy a Range Rover. Well, sure. I, I, it, it's only affects to me and, and the fact that people acknowledge, enough people acknowledge that those 10,000 hours, 20,000 hours and, and that muscle memory is worthy of compensation tissue. And, and it has to be quality hours, right? Oh yeah. You, if you didn't. This is, this is something I've bumped into many, many times, even in art school, uh, which I found quite troubling and a bit problematic, you know, at that time where they're like, God, oh, I've been doing this 30 years. And I said, you can do the same year 30 times. I don't see any evolutionary arc in any of this. You are, you're, you, you said when you get to a certain level, like compensation is a really important thing to talk to artists about. If you are being paid to do something consistently. That's when you start to stand on the gas, not when you take it easy, the coast and neutral, because it builds up to me anyway. And I'm only speaking for myself here. So internet don't come up yet. I don't want to hear about it. I'm speaking only for me that when you have enough expertise and legacy and aptitude and commitment, and you can still see a future where you continue to improve. You should continue to do that. I don't understand this coasting. Like people just say, well, I have a house now. I don't want to rock the boat. Do you think adding a few things to your fucking toolbox is going to make a goddamn mortgage revoked? Who are you? <laughs> what kind of madness has, has grabbed the fold of you if you feel that that's the way it's going to turn out? You're continuing to improve the voice that you've crafted for yourself. That has allowed you to get to this point. What is it that you feel like you're going to be abandoned by? That it's somehow when people start to say, oh, he's still scanning all the gas, man, still trying cool shit. He's still out there fucking top of the game. You know, as an athlete, you have to do things. You have to, you have to continually practice. And they have a limited shelf set. We don't. We can continue to go like this, right? We can continue to improve. It's a, it's one of the few jobs in the world where if you've been paying attention to doing it right at 70, you should be shaming your 30 year old self. But it feels like a lot of artists peaked in high school and stayed there. And they're like, oh, these marks are the ones that, that get me, give me money and attention and, and entries. I don't need to do any better. And, and I can't speak for how they are as people. How they choose to, you know, expose themselves to new ideas, 
in points of view to continually amend their own ideas as they're exposed to new information and staying open in that regard. But I found that even in, in art school in 1986, it was cloistered. It is still like held yes. with iron fists. And all I said is I want to do cool stuff with cool people and make a lot of money. And those three things just seem to be the trifecta of, of uh, an invitation to be insulted and disenfranchised. And I don't... At, at art school? At art school, it's like, I wanted to be a commercial success. I said it out loud, declarative thing. And I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. That's like useful enthusiasm, right? You're like, right. you know, you're 18 and you're like, ah, I want to make a bunch of money today. Bravado, you know? Yeah, I want yeah. some bravado with swagger. You're like, yeah. I want to have, I want to make some money. I want to have some fun. You know, I want to hook up with hot shits. Like you want to do all the rock and roll things, right? Because you're like, this is, you have a thing that is potentially, even though statistically the odds are stacked against you at a point where like Everest type, that it's ever going to amount to a hill of shit, but you're still enthusiastic enough. You're like, I am out, I'm certainly uncertain that this is going to go somewhere. And because nothing reveals itself and you haven't built a road bound, you haven't built your plan, you haven't written out your five-year goals that you want to achieve and accomplish because you're a child. Like you haven't even stopped growing yet, you know? So you you have to wait till your body catches up to, to where you want your talent to go. And by my mid twenties, as I walked out of art school and I just traveled and got in trouble and had lots of fun. Wait, so, let's, let's trouble. Yeah, like pause for a second. So go, go into that. So you didn't have anything lined up. You weren't like going to a job right away. You just kind of um, was a man about town. Oh, I was a dad about it. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I was a gentleman of loading. Uh, a series. Did you of, do some traveling? You know, did some, but mostly, <laughs> excuse me, traveling from my apartment to the bar. And, <laughs> uh, you know, doing stuff that you flow off steam and you always want to use. Yeah, he, he Were you doing art drink, still for yourself? Right, too much. Uh, you know, you find your, you find your. I think it's important to find a garden else uh, early, and uh, because it's it's a terrible luck when you try to find it later. Um, but you you find your, you really start to find your foreign language, and because I'm experientially driven as opposed to conceptually driven. I found that what happened is filling my days with raps really kind of moved my, my creative art forward. Even while I wasn't sitting at the table, I know how the phosphorus it sounds. I literally sound like being a positive. I was saying. So you weren't doing much illustration at that time. I was drawing, but nowhere near with the fever and the hunger that I had when I was in art school and prior because. I'd had a glimpse behind the curtain. I'd seen a little bit of the sausage thing, and I didn't want to be those people. I'm like, okay, well, I love art. It's never changed. Uh, but what the, am I going to, what am I going to do with it? And I said, okay, well, I know what else I can do. Um, I can, I can talk. Okay. I'm confident it's glutes. I'm a decent leader of when men into battle on ice. I can, I can do what I, when I'm going to do with this. Very small toolboxes, 
a couple of abilities. So I put that into applying for application to broadcasting and not loyal college and failure since becoming a university, but same on team. And it was, uh, it was delightful. I had a really, really great experience there. And I graduated from the program, um, with much more of a clear look, a lot more, again, those, those foundational elements prepared with these, there's a few more refined pistons in the engine now, you know, I feel like the crafting is coming together. Uh, I still wanted to draw and I was drawing all the way through college and enjoying myself. So, you know, I'm a bit, but were you, um, were you per very personal at this age, the way you are today? Were you already kind of that outgoing yeah, type of guy? Mostly. And, and I think, um, I think what that was, um, was from a desire to connect, but also artists tend to live very solitary lives in the sense that you typically mean struggling if they were working. You know, it may have its way with you that day, or you may, you know, knock it out in the first round. So I found that I, I savored the social experience a lot more, uh, because the work demands so much of your souls. I, and it demands it. Was easy to ask for it. that easy. Grabs you by the collar. Pulls you down as close to the surface in this place as a little loud. Uh, and I, I think maybe other creators have a different relationship with it, but mine is, mine's quite visceral. Uh, it's very much in the body. So, um, I have to have that connection and that isolation. And when I come out of it, that hyper sleep, uh, I just want to, I just want to hang out with you thing the stories. And then after I had 30 minutes, I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Quick, you think back to, to doing work. Uh, so after graduating college, I moved back to Edmonton on my uh, practicum and, uh, writing for these TV commercials. Now don't get excited. These are not Nike. I wasn't working with David Fincher. These were local hard sell commercials. Well, Carlox mostly. The kind yep. of shoot like five in a day. Uh, and that, that the, of, the owner of the business is in, in the ad. Those yeah. You know, where it's like, does it look? No, it's short time only. Nothing but, nothing but the very best. It's bullshit. It's unbearable shit. It's low brow garbage. It's terrible. But what it does, uh, first of all, it was, it was paying real money. Not enormous amounts, but paying real money on consistent basis. I was doing the thing that I'd gone to college for. Uh, and what was that? Like animation? Uh, it was, I, I got a broadcasting diploma with a specialization in commercial production. So yeah, in the first year, it's all, you get your orientation and a number of disciplines. So you get confident on camera and you know how to mix, you know how to edit, you know how to shoot. And then the second, second year is when you specialize all year. Uh, and so I had a, a quarter wheel of like nine commercially at school. And then with, on the strength of that, I got, and I've won a couple of awards out for my commercials. So uh, I went up to Edmonton to a place by Lavalbot. And while I finished my practicum, I went over to a CFRN, which is a long-standing station institution in Edmonton. And I got. 
unceremoniously let go. And this is a true story. Uh, because the sales manager of Denny Andrews and I, I can't remember the character, but he was, uh, one of those guys who does a lot of cocaine and drinks on the weekend a lot. And he always has a name, like he's like Beaver Berry, you know, he's got like, uh, he's got, he's got an alliterative name, I think. And he, I uh, had a bad suit and a really thin voice or really thin voice. And he'd do these blogs. And you say, oh, well, my voice is yelling neighborhood. And like, dude, I. He was the voice on the ad? He is, yeah. He's the guy walking, oh. talking, chucking and driving him, right? Like giving his finger guns. You know the guy. <laughs> and uh, there's nothing he can do to control this, this idiot. So I just pointed the camera and said, okay, so you have to say this, this, get us to this point. You do a number of different ways that are still comfortable to you. And we'll choose, choose the best when you're sitting with us in the studio first. Okay, okay, this was, so he did a whole bunch and they were unbearable, but you know, for the purposes of the assignment, they were out of here. And we're in the mix, we're in the mix. And, uh, he says, well, I need you to make my voice sound deeper. And I said, well, I can carve in it. I can tune it a bit, but the voice modulation just isn't there yet. Like it's like, we can't make Didn't it exist yet. We can't make you sound like Darth Vader. <laughs> he really wanted like a dude rumbling Basel with Bundover. It's like, it's not going to happen, my brother. But you know, like, uh, you know, you can suck on helium and it will make your voice higher. He's, he's hey, got a bit of a helium tin in him because that's what he sort of. Come on, Dan. Sure. I just, I just learned there's another compound. I can't remember what it's called, but there's something else you can suck just like helium, but then it does the opposite thing. It lowers your voice. So that's what you guys needed. Just a big can of that I need in the back. Can of that. <laughs> we had it. I would have done it. That would have been hilarious. This is always long-term consequences. So <laughs> if you weigh this dude, uh, because Danny Andrews is, and I said, I can't do it. I don't want to embarrass you until it was you'd be laughed out of the room. I'm saying this in all sincerity. It will look fake and weird. And I, I can't in good, in good conscience. I can't do that. So he wouldn't complain to the sales manager. Now sales manager, are all guys, other guys would be lots of okay. And so he's just like, well, we're going to have to let you go. And I wasn't working for the sales manager. I said, well, you're not my boss. I said, fuck what you want. He goes, well, we can't have to talk in class. Like what? what? I literally said, I'm trying to protect your best interests. If you do this, it will be ridiculous. So, uh, long and short was I, I was dismissed. So I went freelance. Um, and they did actually debut a couple of those ads. Yeah. They said, yeah. I've never <laughs> seen anything so terrible. It was, a, in fact, it was worse than I anticipated it being. When I anticipated like worst case scenario, it was even worse than me. They would pull. I wonder if it actually per performed and got business for them or, or not. No, they were laughed out of them. Uh, and that's all I can really hope for is like, well, there's your thought of justice. Yeah, I, I tried to warn you. I said, this will end badly. Please don't be this. He said, well, we're going to have a little experience. Said, okay, well, I'm done with you. Good. So I did uh, a bunch of. A local interest stories for CDC, and one of them is for Bioware. 
Uh, and Bioware at that time was uh, six guys doing medical software for the University of California. And I thought, really? this, is, this is pretty interesting. And they had just uh, combined with Pyrotech Studios out of Calgary to do Shattered Steel, their first game. Uh, and for those who don't know, Bioware is a very well-known video game maker. Yeah, we're, we, at that point, we weren't a very well-known anything. Uh, but yeah, we certainly, the, the company certainly became a going to the center. That's the shit. So sorry to interrupt. I just want to make sure people knew what you were talking about. Oh, of course. Um, of course. Keep, keep going. Uh, and one of the, one of the bosses, there was three at the time, he was later ran, right? But Augustine, the Stone Bolts, he's the, and Godfrey as well. Um, we, I interviewed them all and you know, it was like, Hey man, you really awesome to hang out. Well, what, do you do anything else? And I go, yeah, I've been jolly to some of the big. They were like, oh, what are you doing? They didn't believe you. I said, yeah, but you haven't heard that from me yet. <laughs> like you've heard that from other people. I don't care about them in this regard. Um, but I brought in my portfolio today. Dan Mullins in college, even also really the work has started getting substantially better. And as, as happens, because that I was living a life and I was filling it with things and those things became formal language. They became a denser, more interesting way of telling stories. All a world became alive rather than based on scarcity. And I should interject as I finished art school, you just have a little slide for you if it's like a writing. Um, I. Send out a bunch of samples because I'd always wanted to drop down and send out a bunch of small things for uh, comic companies. And that's in 1987, 8687. Get down a bunch of samples, and I've been chasing Comic Con, trying to house it a dead. No But I locked out the docs and books or that I did for Eternity. And this is okay. true, like early work alert stuff. I had no business doing this, but actually, we're a little. Why not? What do you mean early work alert? Early work alert is where it's cringe, but you still lean into it. I lean into it now proudly. In fact, I'm doing a 2023 versus 1987 comparison. I've posted some of it on my Instagram and on Facebook. I was saying, I think this is a really nice way to be kind to yourself. But, you know, your, your, your work does improve and will improve radically. Um, but I used to have a sort of a little dog. So it's a shame about it. The name city does. Anyway, so that, that's the sidebar of it. And, and I got maybe nine or 10 books published through eternity and they all disappeared with interest. They're all. What do you mean? You got them published. Sorry? You, you, you did all the art for some comic yeah, books. Uh, yeah. I was the, I was the, uh, yeah. So depending on who I had as an inker, cause I was getting three good fences. Um, depending on who I had as an anchor, they were either destroying the work or making it live not too bad. Um, but the storytelling was kind of weak. Uh, but what I learned from broadcasting, so denial is all seeds itself, is I learned visual storytelling puppy. Say more about that. How did that connect? Well, the, the, the dot, yeah. I mean, these aren't dots, these are expressways. Um, I learned cinematic language from working at broadcast. So I learned historical. So combining all of those things, I learned how to build feats into the scene, my establishing shots, my cut-ins, my cutaways, 
all the language I was using to tell stories on camera, I can, I was now using to tell stories. Right. Sequentially. Oh. But I, do you, do you feel like you, that was it. did you really, was it, was the going to school for broadcasting where you learned about story for the first time or you'd studied it before or had your own sort of taste in story earlier? I had, um, I did have my own, my own taste in storytelling. It was largely based on genetics, uh, class and bedazzling them with the sense. Whereas I learned the nuts and bolts, I learned the constructor's language of storytelling once I, I made a serious deep dive in broadcast. Because visual storytelling is always the most interesting thing to me about broadcasting. There's telling a story simply in a shorthand, if you will. But intuitively, we all understood. Prior to that, I was intuitive. Now I was, now I was construction oriented. You had language, you I could discuss it. To discuss gotcha. it at length uh, with it's a degree of authority and expertise, and I think the comics were were kind of were were an obvious uh, effort to kind of you know gain some clout in the early days, you know, to be right. like, like a local hero. I didn't come to speak. and most comic artists, and you know, you can become a major one because yeah. it's its own form of storytelling. It's adjacent to film. It's obviously not identical. Uh, and it has a lot of nuance and texture and depth and meaning terms is not having back that's having back then is pieces, number of, number of frames, the delays between the frames, time, decision, uh, delay. All of these things are, are exclusive to comic book art form. I was approaching it like a filmmaker. I want to tell cinematic stories. I want to tell stories that you can see in every day versus being an express stupid oh, graphics conscious storytelling because that wasn't and with again with much love and respect to all the legends all the masters um i wanted to somehow try and find a hybrid between those two and i'm still doing it like i still want to try and find a hybrid where i have the energy and the excitement and the interest well as comic books and also, uh, the magnitude and gravity of the cinematics to be tell and how to find that. So that's, that's an ongoing quest. But when I started a Bioware, all of that, honestly, kind of came to the fore because if I had come to Bioware at 19, I wouldn't have been a Bioware, but I came to Bioware at 26. So I had a much different, uh, set of tools. Uh, so that was just the case. And then I took the launch pad and it was a rocket ride. Like I became everything. I owe everything to that experience in terms of re-cementing the foundation and adding so well, much more. But explosive what was your, addition. What was your first role or title at Bioware? Uh, I was director of con seeking director of concept art. Okay. Now let's and not get too excited. All the senior members who were instrumental in, in creating the original iteration of the company prior to being sold to EA were all directed. Sometimes you were a director of a department that would, in my case, sometimes be one or 30 at annual project as an I and myself, James, a few others, Spod were directed. So that's just a 
for the sake of discussion, because we used to make up our own job titles when we first started, and that got out of hand. In a hurry, you can imagine a frat house full of people putting their own job descriptions of these cards. So, yeah, we had. To. Well, I'm, I, I ask because I'm wondering, like, so when you connected with them and you showed them your work, was it just did was the work good enough, or it just they immediately jumped on you, or did you have to, you know, uh, talk a bit? Did your communication skills, did your attitude and demeanor at all help you? Get that role. I, I did because they trusted me from doing, I did uh, two profiles for them, which really helped a lot. They could add it to their press kits and everything else because they had crisply shot, well edited, it music, everything else. And they got a local audience and then became a national audience because a lot of those pieces were picked up by CBC National, who had done the pieces for And then that became much more than they were expecting. And that got seen in a lot of places. So we got eyeballs on. This was a uh, like a um, jur- journalist articles or these. Yeah, uh, I I wasn't. I only did voiceover, uh, and I do a bridge at the like I do a you know a hit at the end saying you know Bioware's family has plans for the following, and uh, keep your eyes clean. Yeah, the other one going to go. Like a, just a little little tag at the end. Uh, yeah. On camera, but the rest of it is just voiceover and then talking. The focus is ninety five percent gray at gray and all this team and. You know, some sound bites of people from the, uh, from the studio, which is a very small studio for Jane. And a terrible office. The office was this drafty, looking rank old shit hole above a used bookstore that if you had to use the bathroom, you had to put, you either had the holes in it if you were, if you were number one. And if you were taking two, you had to put your leg up, which sounds even worse than you'd imagine to keep the door closed. So. Clearly we were in a hurry to get out of that spot, but that's where I shot those two pieces. And you know, when you drop the lights down and you make it atmospheric downwards. That's cool. cool. Cause I think, I think it's like important for people to hear because you said when we first started talking about this, that they liked hanging out with you and I'm sure your work was good at the time and got a lot better from there, but it's just so important for people to hear. Cause I feel like a lot of artists think, oh, well, my work just speaks for itself. No, it doesn't. Talk about that for a second. No one does it talk about it. Uh, I think, no, that's not to dismiss it. But what I mean is, um, the vast majority of any of these enterprises, especially video games, because you age and dog you, flow, it is intense. It's Nelson Brown's super long hours. It's like Bell, really. Um, but I have the advantage that I work from home, so I don't have to grind as much, but in studio, especially, especially if you're young and you're starting in it, all likelihood you're not going to be set up towards a map. Doesn't work like that. They need to see you. You get a sense of who you are. And if you're in a studio, uh, and you're spending a lot of time with people, what does it going down in submarine for six months? You got to be somebody that people are okay hanging on. And now I understand and appreciate that a lot of my brethren and likely in seeing myself, although it's never been formally diagnosed, we all have our things. I'm not judging any of those things. You didn't choose it or no way. Fuck. But some of those things present and manifest in public spaces in a different way. And that can be a challenge, both for the person who has to move through whatever may be troubling and challenging. It's not a choice though. So when I look at those sorts of, well, struggles that some people have, I understand why it has to be difficult. 
because overstimulation can be overwhelmed and you're in an environment that is constantly inundated with stimulation. That said, generally speaking, if you're going to move to a certain level in your career and all lightful bit, you are going to have to work in a, in a assured space at some point. And in that shared space, you have to know how to establish yourself, respect others, and common kind of rules of engagement. But artists don't, artists can't be walking around with exceptionalism all day long saying, I get to say whatever the fuck I want. I get to draw whatever the fuck I want. I get to act or is that thing? I, it's reckless disregard. I think it's, it's violently disregarding, uh, the rights of others. Uh, socially, culturally, and occupationally to have a peace of mind, but you're not some fucking loon that's just all, you know, lose their shit every, every, every five seconds. Can't have it. It's, it's, it's not always the case, but it's like, as, as somebody who's not an artist, you, you, um, you, you, it's not like probably the business people that you're working with or the, your coworkers, they're not trying to put you down. It's like, they just want some empathy and some mutual respect back and forth. And it's not too much to ask for, you know? Well, I don't know if it ever has been. <laughs> I'm not sure when, when that would have become like an anathema for anybody where, you know, showing some, some kindness and some respect and support and decency for people who maybe having a tough time right now or going through some things in the personal life or whatever. It's not that difficult to read the room. You want to, you want to, you want to have people that are in like a, the pirate ship with you, you know, we're all rowing in the same direction and we're all supporting each other, you know? In the submarine and the boat, there's a number of analogies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes <laughs> it feels like a lifeboat and there's only one hamburger. So <laughs> you, you have to figure out a way, uh, often using a demented kind of engineering, other times, uh, just common sense to make it through without killing each other. Because you're uh, generally speaking, like the early days of Bioware, and I think this is generally how I've conducted myself going forward. Tempered, of course, with, you know, reading the chapter tree. Um, but what is based on, um, on a confrontational supportive model. Now, uh, that's essentially, it's like, it just deconstructed for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's always the best idea wins, the best solution. And. You have to very early in the game, if you're, if you're going to do this professionally, it's very early half to mind. You can have all the ego you want in a private life. Do you really, you be, you probably don't have any friends for the day, but you do you as you see fit. But when you're sharing a creative experience, creative commercial experience, uh, with others, all of them are studs too. Like, it's not like there's a, you know, there's a weak link in the room. They're talking like a lot of world beaters here. Uh, you have to be able to, uh, defend your ideas. You have to be able to absolve yourself of your ideas. You have to be able to share them in a meaningful way. You have to collaborate, uh, integ yeah. integrate, support and respect. And you learn, and if you tell if you're, you're doing it wrong, really, uh, I think you, you realize that because a lot of artists assume that they have a, and if they tell me otherwise, they're, they're bullshit. They could have the, I'm a lone genius. And if I endeavor long enough in, you know, in my, in my woodsy studio with a, with a coal burning stove, 
and <laughs> they will they will beat down they'll beat the door down to get, get in these, and find out what I'm doing. Cliches. I just want to just look you both me and posers. Stop it. If, if there's ever since Vincent Van Gogh was by the way absolutely savaged by lead poisoning, presented as dead broke. He was he was depressed. He was broke. It's like he was a literally the the stack not somebody to emulate in, in some ways <laughs> was mountainous the poor son yeah. of a bitch like I wonder what would have happened if he'd been medicated fed properly and supported the community he probably would have been ten times better yeah <laughs> ten times more prolific or he would have disappeared without a trace but yeah I, the the troubling thing is that there's some room there's even for some romance that that yes. no one understands me yeah fuck no one cares. <laughs> Like, I'm kind of with Bill Bird on this one. Like, no one cares until you make them care. Until right. you make a case for yourself to be worthy of sharing space with, to be sharing ideas with, to be sharing aspirations and hopes and, and collaboration. And if you're not. Are you, a, are you a musician at all? No, I'm not. I have a lot of friends who are, but I'm not. I, I just bring it up because I, so I sang a lot coming up. I was never a visual artist, but, um, you know, if you're singing and you're in these groups, you get a really quicker sense of what you're just talking about here, how, how collaborative art can be that like, if you have multiple voices that are like just banging, it, it doesn't mean that you are, your star is diminished or you can't like participate in something. It just, I don't know. It just, it just, you talking about those kind of jam sessions with the early Bioware people made me think of that where it was just, it would be so much more boring and like not good if I was just by myself, like it would be, it'd be exposed to be weird. It would not be the same thing at all and it's so much more collaborative and like cooperative um if you can find that really artistic is. group that you're in you know it's uh and as much as the the, the buzzword irritates me the synergy is really what it is it's this shared energetic experience and if you're feeding it properly and if you're maintaining it and it's not based on scarcity it's based on abundance it's based on what you bring to the table not what you choose i think you have an opportunity to be a part of something extraordinary. And I know for many of us, um, myself included in my, my sadder moment, uh, more sentimental moment, I would propose that it was the brightest time of our lives. Now, I don't personally believe that in my heart. It absolutely wasn't, but I'll tell you, it's a fucking highlight. And, <laughs> uh, I knew that I was going to go on to other highlights. I knew right. intuitively, I said, I've, I've had too many too many new tools added to this, this suite of mine, this story that I'm going to continue to tell that this is not my final act. This is one of many. When you, so when you joined that team and that creative co cooperative, were you already instinctually open to this sort of riffing and jamming and anybody, the best idea wins, or did you have to learn that at that I time? I played team sports. That's it. That's where it comes from. Yep. At a very high level. It's oh, the, yep. Uh, yeah. You learn that it is a team effort. You learn you, you, until it's branded into your seat. That it's you know that your teammate's going to be here and you can send the puck to where he's going to be and you just are like totally on the same wavelength. Like, that type of thing. You, you learn to speak a shorthand when you have creative sympathetics and effectively creatively finish each other's sentences. Right. And that's a gift that I encourage your audience. If they have that with somebody, keep them around forever because there's, I mean, 
notwithstanding the usual, like mortal, you know, tenure that we all share. Uh, that besides that, uh, keep them around. There's, there's nothing, there is really nothing, you know, that feeling from jam sessions. There is nothing like that yeah, riffing on great ideas. I mean, there are a few things that I think that it's found with but there's, there's shared experiences that when, when, you know, I'm always reminded of the one time that that Andy had insight on the office. He said, I wish we knew we were in, uh, in the good old days when we were in Right. And so that's the sentiment of that time that I'm at the nine years I'm at. Cause we went from nothing. It's a dream and none of us had ever made a game. And we, we just thought with, with swagger and a lot of, a lot of, uh, open. Uh, but nonetheless, served by that was an unshakable work ethic, right? We would simply put in the work. We would put in the time and put in the hours and solve the problems. It's the only way we were going to beat it. And I'm sure with that esprit de corps and that camaraderie, you could actually work longer, work better, more productive, more creative in yeah, some moments. It could, it could get you weather, weather those, those patches that you need. Uh, support. It's, uh, it's an interesting conversation. Obviously, a nuanced one that requires reflection. But I've heard the complaint that, and, and it's a, a care grievance in my mind, uh, where people have said, you know what? A lot of these video game studios, and I'm always video game studios, uh, start to feel like cults because they continually put you back, right? Free meals. They have a reputation of being reputation. very hard. Thank Long hours, long hours, but I, I also ask what the fuck else are you going to do? Like you're 23, 24, probably your first job, first significant job. This is how it worked for us. The only ones who were crazy enough to do it were 25 year old people who had nothing else to do. And I mean that. And they want to get their stripes. Yeah. They, they, they like. You know, you have to put in a certain number of hours, 10,000, 20,000 hours. Why not get them sooner? I get paid. Why not get them faster? Yeah. <laughs> also, and also in fairness, I mean, we didn't feel like it was a stock We thought it was an investment because again, when you're 23, 24, 25, you're sold to finding characteristic is your job. What the fuck have you done really? Unless you're like an international athlete or like a major movie right. star, like the outliers that make no sense statistically. Unless if you're part of the great unwashed and the middle bandwidth, and then you're 23, 24, and, and I'm sure some 22, 23, are just a little bit, nah, guys, he's full of shit. I'm not though. <laughs> I'm on your side. I'm telling you it's okay. I think yeah. if you're committed to something that brings you tremendous joy and frustration and suffering and challenge and ordeal, these become defining characteristics of you going forward. Like yeah. if you make it through that crucible, if you make it through that, that, you know, harrowing life event of delivering a video game, a triple A video game that not only succeeds, but becomes a classic and you had no idea that was going to happen. What a fucking amazing thing we parted. So people can look gift forces in the mouth of the leg. And I've realized that I've gotten way better and, and I've worked on shows that have been seen by 20 30 times the audience that ever bought Baldur's Gate. It's not, that wouldn't diminish Baldur's Gate. 
in any way, shape or form in terms of its importance in my life, uh, its formative power to helping me build not only the, the skill sets, but the confidence, because a lot of this is confidence. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, to be able to move from video games to film, which happens exceedingly rarely, if ever. I mean, it happened right. once in a while. I know guys who worked on. I bet it's happening more, but back back in Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate definitely never happened. Yeah. No. Um, did, so, were you doing digital art at all on these games, or was it all pen and paper concept? It's all pen um, and paper till. Um, no sprites. <laughs> yeah, it's all pen and paper because um, I was producing it so fast. Um, now, of course. I, I just look back and where would your art where would your art show up in the final output? Would it turn into the animated Yeah um, it's it's final it's final product. Uh it's for the, the booklet that That's, would come in the in the show up. The tool tip yes. if you play D D or if you or okay. if you build this game, if you tool tip all those pencil sketches. Those are yours. Those are all the, That's so cool. That's the one place where you're uh unfiltered. Uh, my sketches ended up mainline John. <laughs> That's what I thought. But yeah, because it was concept art and functionally lying clear mm -hmm. artwork, um, I usually did tonal renderings, you know, with, with markers and so on to kind of get a sense of where we were going to go. And everybody along the way contributed to bring that to light. Wow. And by the end of it, I'd only recognize the skeleton, sort of, of what I had been a part of. But because everyone's so good and getting more and more confident all the time and, and more excited about trying these things, that, that work just got better and better and better. And as I hopefully got better and better, but digitally, I didn't start really working in Photoshop and 3D Studio Max till, uh, well, till Photoshop actually had layers. Um, what's, what's, so with Baldur's Gate came out, was that back in the day when they still had the actual physical, you know, box you buy at? the big box store and they have a CD inside and they have a booklet and all that CDs stuff for balls and skate. Man. So uh, did you do any art that was on any of that? No, no of somebody those, else. Those all promo and marketing. We, um, in fact, it was about that time that yeah, my buddy Mike started doing a lot of the marketing work. He was a graduate of over college and got through, uh, commercial art. So he was very familiar with marketing, emotional work. And his, his style really liked itself to that. So he started, I think it was around Holder's Gate to empty day two, I think, is around the time when we yeah. started doing a lot of more in-house in terms of box art and the interior road. For, for the folks who don't know, can you just tell them at a high level what Baldur's Gate, what type of game it was? Well, Baldur's Gate was a... Uh, 3D, 3D rendered background, active sprite, isometric RPG for Dungeons and Dragons. Takes place in the Forgotten Realms, which, by the way, Baldur's can I translate? Can I translate to to normal normal speak for a second? <laughs> okay, so basically, it's like having a camera about a hundred feet above your characters, right? And you can you watch them walk around on these full terrain landscapes. It's fantasy. It's so, it's so monsters, dungeons knights and you know warriors and mages and demons and monsters and was it a small it was like a party game would you would you play with other people or was it all uh npcs people, up to six people in the party yeah I've, I've yeah players cool 
and you have some, you can get NPCs and teams, but that takes a while and you gotta get much, much higher. And you, you'd level up and you get more powerful items and spells and all that stuff. And subsequently <laughs> fight more and more difficult creatures and you'd have more and more deal and harder and more difficult challenges. Yeah. It was a huge cultural hit. I mean, it was, was it one of those games that kind of hit a technological development where you guys like really early on color or anything like that, or was it, um, what was, what was unique about that title when it first came out? I think because, uh, of culturally, culturally well, if you pick, uh, I came from pen and paper, right? For parkages. So I was an experienced D and D player, but a lot of those books, like when you see the stack of little books in there, well, it's pretty daunting for somebody who's like, well, oh, I just want us, they're playing some D and D and you're like, wow, well, you better get some eye or that. That's what, that's pretty daunting. So what we made is we made, uh, the encyclopedia easy to browse. I'd say it consolidated for a lot of people who maybe didn't want to jump into the learning terms of D and D, uh, and it's visual, of course. It automated the dice rolling and all the, all the, like the book, the, the like bookkeeping. Like <laughs> miniatures on a map. So yeah. I think it just spoke to like, we, we knew that earlier. So this kind of, this speaks to us having minis and rolling games. The only difference was we didn't have dynamic dice in this game. So all of the maintenance and bookkeeping and logistics was taken care of. Your DMing was taken care of, which makes it just dive right in as a player and just start yakking and slashing. So <laughs> I think, I think because it, it removed a lot of the burden of responsibility and it is a responsible thing. Like play D and D takes a lot of work. You gotta archive a lot of style. Um, they read the player's handbook twice and tell me that that was, it's not a dense read. A lot of modifiers. I've never played it. <laughs> a lot of modifiers. So, and a lot of charts, a lot of item indexes. And we used to pour over it, like with, you know, just this unrestrained enthusiasm. And I think the reason it clicked probably is combination is things, but the, the heavy lifting of the adventuring in pen and paper. Uh, it wasn't yours to, to be uh, bothered with. And also it's very evocative of, uh, it's desktop RP. So having yeah. minis, bones, three dungeons, very much like that. And it's dynamic. Of course, it's like the, the chess set in Star Wars to watch what will happen in this whole. And so right. I speak, and, and it didn't require also, um, cause I'm a big first person shooter, so I mean, it didn't require on a bleeding edge rig play. Right. Right. It was very accessible. Uh, it wasn't a system, system killer. I bet if you, let's say you were a Dungeons and Dragons player yourself, you might have 10 friends who you've been trying to get into it, but it's just too much, too difficult, but they can get into Baldur's Gate. And now you have this instant word of mouth, like expansion into five or six friends everywhere that you get one person who likes it, Absolutely. you know? It, it made it, uh, you didn't have to, you could be a party by yourself. Which, um, again, because the, the most wonderful thing about playing d and is, is one of the worst things is trying to juggle everybody's schedule so you get together for a session. And it also remains that, which I think it, is, is a really important. So you could play solo, but you could also, it seems like it had early viral mechanics, just how easy it is to get your friends on the platform to play with you. Play multi-tary. Nice. So there's, there's value in that. I, I think a, a number of things that will look like, okay, what are going to be our benchmarks? What, what do we want this game to be? And the, the cool part about D&D &D is that the rule sets already figured out for it. 
And every rule set since has been based on DD. Someone's going to tell me that, well, you know, it's like Pharrell, that's what I'm feeling. You're full of shit. (laughs) It's all based on the same thing characteristics, just like attributes and advancement. That's it. Like everybody, it's like how everybody's riffing on Tolkien, these, you know, it's like orcs and all that. It's all we're doing is skin sandwiches. Right. <laughs> Nothing burger after, after the bull. So, uh, I think, I think there's, there's a lot of value in just acknowledging that we're not reinventing the wheel because that fucking wheel's great. It really is. That's a template. And I don't care. I personally, I don't, yeah, I want to see different kind of fantasy version that based on the standard architects. Well, like, <laughs> sure you did. Well, then go off and create it. Well, I did. What do you think? It's terrible. <laughs> it doesn't pass and even Tolkien, Tolkien just read a bunch of North mythology and all that stuff. And he just, he just said, I'm going to rehash all this, it's you know, a it's modern just mask <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with it. It's a crazy quilt of things he thought were cool. And that's what we did. We're like, well, what can we do this kind of And we were also, I mean, if I was going to do Baldur's Gate today, uh, it would honestly be a facile thing. Um, and given what I know, uh, and how the level of sophistication that's been added to my personal footwalker uh, uh, of, of ideas. Um, I would think that I would, I would absolutely slay the game, but it would be in a, it'd be entirely, obviously entirely different, but I would love to still do, and, and I'm not even kid. I would love to do that game isometric thing. I mean, we have what does that mean? interesting dynamic elements and so on, but I would still love to see not a remaster because we've remastered Baldur's Gate. And it's just one sweetie ring. It's frame rate, but but an actual area for area redo, like a, like an actual remake, but still honor all. What does isometric mean? Isometric just means it's running on a, on a 45 off axis rig. So it's, uh, it's, it's those, those old style games where you like kind of have that angle into the room and you're moving around the room around, and the dungeon. 45s. The whole game cool. rules on a fixed 45. It's not a, not a dynamic projection. It's a fixed camera position. I mean, I think you could probably do it because you, you see like people are doing ton of these indie like games like Cuphead and stuff like that, the side scrollers. And there's clearly a market for that, even though the technology has just gotten, you know, gangbusters from a a rendering and graphics perspective, you know? I think so, but ultimately what's the, what, what remains the linchpin in all of that? What's the kind of, what's the principal asset above all other assets where a game to continually coming back quite again and again, we has been fucking good, man. Gotta have a book. Story. Story, yeah. story, and more story. And if you think it's anything else, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> gonna probably have to say no. <laughs> what makes it not so amazing? Well, it's not the, well, I mean, some of this stuff is just hilarious, but, uh, it's the fact that the mod community turned it into this anomaly. It's a, well, it's the, it's the emergent stories. You walk around and it's like, this stuff happens and it, and you don't, you're, you feel like you're stumbling into actual life that's, that's going around this fake race. This remix culture. So I'm, I'm here for it because my own brain works on a remix. I'm a, I'm nothing but recycling things I've seen and enjoyed. And I have no delusions in that regard. Like, I, I don't think I'm original. I don't think I have, you know, a unique voice. I think I have a voice that's very much in my time. And now, and that's, and I, I think that's really a wonderful gift that I get to reflect the times in which I lived and hopefully, uh, get a sense 
maybe a better sense those from maybe someone who isn't that keen on being yeah. or what it must right. be like. Now, did you get to work on, um, did you work at all on the Knights of the Old Republic That's properties? Glory. Let's talk about that, man. Cause I, I was, I don't know if it was, I was just too young, but so I kind of missed Baldur's Gate, but I hit on the Knights of the Old Republic stuff. I played all that and it was, what I loved about it was what we've just been talking about. It felt like a story that was as good as like a blockbuster movie. And that was rare for the time in video games. Video games are just like, are the game mechanics good? Is it, is it fun for like a, a 10 year old? But, but it felt like it was one of the first games that actually kind of respected the audience and like wanted you to get sucked in to the narrative, um, in a real way. Well, it's interesting, you mentioned Coach because it's, it's 20th anniversary right now. So I've done a bunch of interviews and, uh, had the opportunity to, to talk shop with uh, several different websites that it has. And, and actually just real quick, bef before you go into that, like, you know, this is, this is a, so this is a Star Wars game. So if you know the, 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 the world of Star Wars, Jedi's, all this stuff that was set way before the movies in this sort of early stage of the empire. Uh, 5,000 years to say them. Exactly. So sorry. Yeah. Keep, keep going. Green era of Newfoundland, but still very much the Star Wars. Yeah. Is there a felt, felt very Star Wars. And it felt like if you love the movies, it's like, oh my gosh, you start to learn like the origin of the Jedi and, and the different planets and all that stuff. You just, it just builds out the whole mythology for you. Well, we, I think to a person uh, in the room, uh, we, we quick and tell the story as a matter of yeah. history. Yeah. Now. <laughs> um, we had two projects that we were being offered. One was this Sony and one was just LucasArts. We didn't know who the publishers were. It's Ray and Greg just brought us all in rooms. It's 75 feet in the room at which is still relatively small. So we're going to the conference hearing. Everybody's standing around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. Sure. Uh, we have two games and they put wrote Sony. And then they wrote LucasArts. Our LucasArts called. We thought we were going to do the Andrew Jones band. But genuinely, they didn't know Star Wars is in point at all. So it was on LucasArts. Oh, that's cool. We're getting Monkey Island. Like the LCG. So I can't even remember what the game was for, for Sony. It was like, it wasn't a franchise, but it was franchise adjacent. Like, you know, the okay. further adventures, it's say awful character. No, we can't But for Star Wars. And then the, all the air left the room. We're like, what? what? This, what? Whole, whole up. Mind <laughs> that back for a second. Did you say Star Wars? And I go, yeah, you're going to have to get real quiet about it too. Man, what the hell you tell your wife to the husband? It's fucking telling Star Wars? Like you couldn't hear a pin drop in your room. And this is a place that's normally racking. What, what year was this? Was this like, oh, this uh, was probably like 2001, late, late 2001. So had the, the second trilogy been released at the episode one, had that come out yet? Or that was pre that? That was, I thought that was like, it was pre that by a bit. But it was right around there. It was like the early 2000s or maybe, yeah, when that came Steam out. Came out in 2003. Okay. And we were on it for, we're surprisingly quick on it too. Because we already had the 3D uh, engine built at least right off MDK2, but we already had, we were already front loaded for it. Um, it was about 16 months, 18 yeah. months. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it would have been right about that. And I don't want to misremember in this quote exactly when, but it was all in that continuous in that, that era. It was coming back, like Star Wars was coming back into the zeitgeist and whether it had ever left or not. But <laughs> you'd seen the special editions and theaters. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's it. Those have been remastered and come out. Yes. Yeah. So I, for one, thought it was fucking awesome because I love constantly remixing my stuff. Or so I'm out of the sun at George's said, you know, as a technology beats better and you do better. Why not? They just you said you're on, you're on Jar Jar's side. Is that what you just said? Uh, no. You know what? I thought, I, by the way, again, another side of it. I love the fan theory that he's actually a drunken master sis and he was just playing baseball. Like that okay, if, been... if you have not seen this theory, it is so believable. It is, it is the best theory. <laughs> he was a Sith hiding in plain sight and he was just playing this lovable goofball weirdo. He, he, he basically was the dark side version of Yoda where Yoda was this goofball on the light side and he was on the dark side and Palpatine was his apprentice. And when you start to listen to this theory, it actually makes so much sense. And then it just, George maybe chickened out or something like that. He may have. Or pulled back. It, it, now, lore being what it is, I would have to sit with George and he'd have to be off the record. Exactly. Yeah, he would never, he would never, you he think he would ever admit to this? Maybe deathbed confession? Jerry was a Really? That's what you're going over with? <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway, it was around that time. So clearly Star Wars is, is very much in the discussion and the opportunity to create uh, a fresh take on material that had only in the slightest way uh, been hinted at. And it would have been hinted at badly, by the way. They had like they had floating a lot of those expanded like, universe books and all that stuff. And it was terrible. It was terrible. It didn't make any Did y'all, did, did you know about all the expanded universe novels and all those books and things at the time they had that well, part of we knew about them and we ignored it all right ultimately right. because we we were said okay here's our real estate that we staked out and we're in, we're staking out this in terms of storytelling and uh position in the universe we wanted immediately recognizable familiar but new all the standard kind of you know marketing pull quotes that you hear anytime well i think they had the, the novels that all played around like what happened like after Return of the Jedi or right before? And like, they were dealing with the characters from the movies, but I don't think anyone had really done like, let's go 5,000 years back, like way standalone. And I think that was kind of a unique thing. And the what you want to was no Skywalker stuff. Yeah, no, none of those characters, none, none of that. I, I thought, you know what, we get a, we get to, you know, offer our own back to things. And um, I was for the first, the first while I'm saying I was the only one cutting teeth at concept code. So it started over with a small team and we were ripping constantly on ideas. Now James and I, James Bowler and frankly the only genius I've ever lived with. Uh had a design of Bioware when he knows I say it out about it. And says I'm the only genius here. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Rather loves them. Uh, <laughs> I have tremendous respect. And his ideas he Understood that when I stressed us in my videos, it was personal. And so that's a lesson he's continued to carry to this day. But it was always what the idea it wasn't the person, not attacking the person. If I want to attack the person, I'll come again and go, you're a fucking asshole. Not your ideas are an asshole. You, you, you uh, take, take the hockey gloves off. Dude, and, I am not you know. passive. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, man, it's the idea. If I don't like you, 
I'll say I don't like it. Get a hip check. <laughs> no, I really don't. I think they're terrible. Their ideas are good. You know, folks came to but and it was really, especially when it came to Star Wars, because we had canon and we stayed inside it. We played inside the rules and then we offered people, a big friends offered them some things they weren't expecting and some things they never knew they needed. And that's really the approach that, that we chose. Star Wars and games going forward uh, for as long as I was there. And that was really how we to, to play this game. But it would be, uh, we wanted to bring the audience along as we were brought along. Because this is all new material for us too. So it wasn't like, you know, we could say, well, you know, well, I'm going to feel like that gets into Windows and Star Wars. Because it was... Yeah, it's 20 years ago. Now everybody has their own version of Star Wars. They have an internet connection. But by, uh, back then, uh, the gatekeepers were Lucas. That was it. We had one point. How did that work? So would you all kind of come up with story ideas and then have to run it by them and kind of get like collaborative sign-off? Or was it yeah. more they gave you a lot of leash? We, we, got pretty, we got pretty lucky in that regard. They're two producers, Mike and Hayden, were down in, um, and they were uh, very supportive. Like they knew it was a fresh journey for us too, that it was like going into this new universe that had to be as familiar as the one where all, we all know and know. But we wanted a game that was a love letter to the inspirations that Star Wars was responsible for. Look, in my May 25th, 1977, he saw it in opening day in Marie. And I blew my fucking head apart. I was never the same one after that work. And I realized that that's a play story. It's probably very familiar word frame for a lot of people of a certain vintage uh, in time and history. They may have their own self that has done that for them, but has been the, the, the new from orbit that didn't work. You just weren't standing. You didn't know you wanted, but you wanted. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I cannot underestimate the amount of damage that movie did to my brain in a great way, in all the big ways. And, and I realized looking back, like, as I had this series of explosive discoveries from 77 to about 82 and 83, that was so formative for me. Right. And, and they happened with monotonous regularity. Like that happened, I Star Wars, and I started reading Heavy Metal Magazine when it shouldn't have been. Uh, I discovered Frank Rosetta. I am not just exploding into my interest in fantasy arts. Um, and it, it, one after saw the greatest movies from like 1979 to 1983, the golden age of fantasy and science fiction pictures would never get made to you. And if they got made, they would be, you know, pulverized into irrelevancy by committee thinking. Uh, there was a last, the last era, there was a hangover from the seventies, the last era of films that were truly silly, original. Uh, so I was fortunate enough through where I happen to exist in time and space to have all those formative insolencies. I, and, and then Star Wars, of course, this was my opportunity to provide a, a love letter to the franchise and basically a goodbye to it too. Like it was, I was old enough to appreciate how important it was for me, but I knew there was going to be other things. There's always other things, but I wanted to make sure that I had the opportunity to set my Star Wars. I wanted to do unforgettable work. And so I really pushed myself in that. Boy, I didn't mail that shit in at all. Um, 
a lot of fights, a lot of argument. Um, and so some of misremembers it. I think what kind of fights would you have? What sort of fights would you all, you all like? What, what topics would, are you ideas. worthy of debating? And I do. Yeah. Yeah. Just if something seemed lazy. Like, like, a like a, uh, like a plot turn or a character being oh. introduced like that type of stuff, or I'm, I'm not going to pick out the air department, but I will, uh, the design department by that point, I, I think really had, um, you know, a superb physique on top of the skeleton that it's dirty. I guess it is really becoming exceptional. Wow. Um, and they weren't rehashing old ideas. They were right. Like, let's make the blockbuster Navy that people haven't get to play. How do we do that? But James is continually, uh, trying to put these, these opportunities in front of themselves yeah. to continually get better, to continually challenge himself. And that's why we got along so long with saying, um, is how do we, and, and Scott Gray directed the program that it's probably the, the trifecta of us three. I think other people would want to be able to see that conversation with Dave. Well, fuck them. They're not here at those, but me were these, we were the three kind of keys is like. Can art do it? Can design do it? And can programming do it? And I go, right. fuck yeah, we can, or not today. The end is it's fine. But we still push to, to try and accomplish the impossible or they're not realized yet. Not so much impossible, but more like we haven't climbed that mountain yet, but we can see it. And I think putting those, those challenges in front of you is everything. And if you have competitive mindset, which I do, what competitive for me these days, I'm not competing Design. to me, really, honestly, like in the end, um, it's just me, will I be satisfied if you buy things? Well, I feel like yeah. I mailed it in or if it's like the show that. And Star Wars is very much like that for us. It's forever is going to be crowning glory. Uh, cause no one, if, if someone says that uh, they're a lying turd. I, that was on that tee that says, you know what, when I was working on that game, I expected it to get blessed. Yeah. We thought it was going to be okay. Yeah. Like I really enjoyed Jedi Knight as an example. And Jedi Knight is just fun. Yeah. But do I remember moments in it? Yeah. Not really. Uh, but when we, when we put the game together and manufacturing this impossible thing. We were just, let's not disrespect the audience. Let's not disrespect ourselves. And let's continue to do the best that we hear, the, the very best we can. And we'll get out of this and it'll be great. And we'll do well with tasteful. That's, that was kind of it. We're very modest and out of projections. And was the, um, mechanic of you being able to kind of go dark side, light side, was that an early like uh, decision or was that something that came about? How, how did that come about? I think, I think you'd have to be, have been in the room and I don't want to speak on behalf of it. It was the core design team, but I know a lot of theirs is based on Ruth. Like it'd be just like round table. James is big on round table. Cause he's a born dungeon master, right? So he's like, they're missing team. I'm going to roll, roll for initiatives. He's got the best idea. Yeah. So I almost, I, I can say knowing the process as I did. And I participated in design part of it in Baldur's as well, that that rain, uh, had no gavel. So he would, he would ask people, you know, what do you think? Okay. What would you, how would you like the best result here? And there's some guys who were strong on plot and we'd done dialogue as a great on dialogue. That was on plot. 
and then they'd build the building. But I, I can almost guarantee you, I'm not James as I do that that was conversation Gary. And I feel like that was the first time that mechanic had come out, at least in a, in a very big way. And then it, that you saw that show up in everything. <laughs> I mean, it shows up all the time now, but back then that was, I'd say, you're right. I think that was really in the kind of gateway drug for that conversation and it's a Star Wars unit. To recognize that like this game you could play and it's, there's not one track. Like you actually, depending on your actions, you will have a different game than your friend who plays another way. And there's so many choices like that. That was such a cool dynamic. <laughs> it also is a parallel of anyone's life. <laughs> you know, hey, listen, is Mel Mad? You're going to find that out as you get a little older. Uh, so it, I mean, it didn't feel like it did. It felt less like you were on a theme park ride and more like you were in a movie, you know, this interactive movie. Yeah. We, we really wanted to get away from the idea of the world as but that you're just literally a, what's uh, so you're a clown car and you're just going yeah. from shitty quest to shitty quest <laughs> and you have to do this, this FedEx thing over here and make yourself feel better. Get some karma points. Like, I don't know, man. I think I like, yeah, you're right. You have to make it. And again, moving towards the idea of, of this harmonic convergence of comic stains and film and taking the very best of each, yeah, uh, to kind of be best of breed as a, as a creator, and that's something that's constantly on my now. And I, I, and I feel like you can, you can take, or go ahead. I was going to just say, you can take, I think the decisions y'all made in the, the artistic direction and a lot of elements of that game and have a direct through line to some of the the biggest game, like World of Warcraft and things like that. I mean, I think they took a ton of inspiration from what you guys had done well, they um, right in a lot of ways. They're, they were very clear about it. I mean, when you're hanging out at E3 and you're talking to the design team, like, yeah, that's what literally played your cake till it blew up. So of course we helped ourselves. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. For me, I think, again, that's a large, that's a meta collaboration. I don't think these ideas uh, are, you know, proprietary trademarks. They're trying to solve problem in creating an interactive experience and an open-ended proposition. That to me is not a fixed alphabet. That's not a closed language. I think in it, uh, if someone steals some of my ideas, like outright, well, that's great. I, I mean, maybe a little credit, you know, <laughs> like if someone sees an illustration, they like, really love my version of the Spider-Man, it's a matter of one the six one. And they, they do a riff on it. I'd be like. You know, if I do something like that, or I'm collaborating with someone, so, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. There's nothing wrong with sharing. I think it, well, it's, it's not the highest, I, the highest, the highest form of praise. I feel like is to see where your work, like literally fits in the history of a, of a, of a genre or a, a, an artistic medium, which is these games have been right. Well, and you can you, really and, and see remember, that the things that I'm going to be with, if I'm ever going to be remembered. Uh, and I really don't care if they end or not, but my family, yeah, the day. but otherwise, um, it's a community to know this for you. I mean, Darth Revan is going to live a lot longer at home. Talk about that. Tell people who Darth Revan is and, and what your role was in that. Okay. Well, Darth Revan is the one of two, one of the two Sith Lords in the game. Uh, the other is Darth Malak, who down is largely forgotten because it's terrible design that I'm not responsible for. I make that very clear. I distance myself from that or nothing to do with that one. I would make design my In fact, my version of Darth Mallet uh, became Darth Malvitz down the line. Again, I didn't change a thing. All I did was do Darth Vader with all his helmet. <laughs> Any. 
Um, <laughs> no, I was a little deep. Let's put it that way. Okay. What is right. bald goat? Is Darcy? Um, you know, a little more, a little more elegant. Um, but Dark Raven um, began as a conversation like, how do we do, and how do we do an enigma, an unreadable enigma as a Sith, but not Vader? Like, we don't want to do another samurai mask. What are we going to do with sensual state? And I said, well, James, why don't I bounce around uh, some African tribal masks? And say, I think there's some really marvelous forms in that that we think that we utilize. Um, and I'll kind of search and destroy and some ideas. And one of them was that Darth Revan is an all white. Kind of throw people off the scent that it's actually Sith. Which I thought was silly, but, um, again, because white, gray, and black is symbolic, probably. And so I had to throw in different colors to throw people off the sand pit that Revan might be safe. And I ended up with a thing that if I said I knew exactly what the whole and old witch's brew was, so I was, I was beyond to come up with yeah. I, I really don't have an answer for it. I was just doing things I thought would be really interesting and felt tribal, which felt ancient. But there wasn't, again, mixing up with leather and sound, something we had to see today. So, um, yeah, to be less like, metal, less chrome, more, yeah, less, yeah. less seventies music and, uh, you know, maybe a little more talent same and yeah, or a little more tribal finery in this case. Um, uh, so yeah, there was, there was an idea to try to make this turfy and then below it and a little less, uh, ninja. So, and so when you're, when you're coming up with that visual concept, are you dreaming up backstory and character traits and stuff like that as you do it? Or is that not part of your creative process? Well, I think that because James and I, again, have a short name, right? We, he'd say, listen, he's got to be mysterious, phenomatic, oh, clearly bilateral, symmetrical, demonoid is not oversized. In other words, it's clearly being under there. There's something that looks just like this. And, uh, you know, didn't vape horse, the hood horse. But after that, that's fun. I probably did like. Almost I got sixty or seventy sketches to where I wanted to get right. And I kept circling back to like this one look, uh, which often happens where I do one of the sauce possibilities. And then you go right back. I mean, distill down. But yeah. For, and I've since learned to trust my gut a lot. Um, but in the old days you had to explore it because it's committee based. So you had to give people the choice to Frankenstein ideas. They'd say, Oh, I like the head here, or like the on treatment there and I like the feet here. There's a mix of matchbooks as a kid. It'd be cut and say, they'd have a trick dip and you're like, oh, this stuff. I need the head here and the legs here. Uh, and that's very much character game design back then. Still is, actually, there's a lot of Frankenstein. But uh, in this case, it is really to exhaust and all possibility before we settled on it. And the one that's clearly speaking to all of us, like we're all kind of gravitating to the same one. Right? That's one right there. Hell. And I didn't realize, uh, because I don't do myself like an asshole, uh, <laughs> that Darth Revan is kind of a big deal. Because after I, after I left Bioware, I went on to other things. I didn't, you know, I wasn't constantly, I wasn't, as far as I could tell anything. Um, you know, I wasn't bitter, like they kept checking the website, hate following me, angry. I didn't care. I mean, my time there was done. I had a great run. Like I was there during the golden age. I couldn't have asked for a better time to be. Yeah. 
And so like, well, I mean, I know what I'm going to keep my on for. You have to go do this other stuff, but all the best to them. And I never wished ill of anyone there. I tell you guys, but, uh, generally speaking, I was thrilled to have been there at all. Never mind. It's just faded. No, it's a great roster of games that every fortune has to be a part of. And it wasn't strict until we started getting Comic Cons in 2017, uh, that all guest revenues a thing. I'm like, we just walk in there. And designed them HK47 all together. Except our smell. He's a punk's terrible scene. He's like, what? You did all those? Yeah. Oh my God. And it was so consistent as a response that I was like, I really should probably change this. So I went on last, he's like, oh my God, there's this like cult of Darth Revan, mate. He's possibly to get to sit there. I'm like, but I mean, he's, he's up there as, uh, as can, well, debatably as canon or not canon. And as, by virtue of that alone, having worked on the next day of public, I became an honorary member of the 501, which is the international Star Wars. The Bible first legion. And they made, what is that? It's, uh, it's basically a, a charity that has a diverse portfolio of projects and initiatives. They support the community that people dress up as farm troopers and go to cancer wards for kids, bring people joy and support the community. Maybe people are having a tough time. A lot of fundraising that Chen had a happen to be a part of it's cool. Helping out the less advantaged community. Still, uh, yeah, that happened last year in Grand Prairie. I just had a full, had the full swearing in ceremony and I got all these medals and everything. So it's, it's wild. wild decisionary. And I'm, sh- I was shocked at how emotional. Like I, I wasn't expecting to have that reaction. Like, I, you know, I kind of teared up a bit. Like, oh my God, this is overwhelming. Icky. I just created a character, a bunch of characters for a game. And for these people, it's like, it's aspirational to more than that in a real concrete analog wall, a real bricks and mortar way. So that they build costumes, but are, uh, your character, the character to be drew all those years. Seeing that, that's pretty, that is wild as part of And if they're making costumes, I mean, it's in their Beautiful minds costumes. psychologically, I mean, they're. There's something about that character. They want to inhabit that. They want to live that way. They, there's something about that where they deeply, deeply identify with what you created. And uh, right. that's, that's something if you're ever going to want to work to um, be more than you. Because I'm, I'm very forward-facing with the work. I don't believe because I do what I do. I'm given any latitude of three casts to be anything else. In other words, it's my occupation. It's my job. I love it. It's challenging, interesting, exciting, fun, and all this thing, very rewarding. Um, but it, it doesn't excuse me, uh, but it does reward. And I think when you get rewards like that, but you're not expected. I, I don't believe I'm entitled to a thing. Like in terms of adulation or fandom or anything else, I'm not entitled to any of it. But if I've earned it through people connecting to the work, um, then that's everything because the work and I get along pretty well with each other, but it doesn't, it doesn't sweep me as a human sense. And what it is like, I guess what I'm saying is I know people, because this is a conversation with AI or especially 
where they feel like there's a mortal or an existential threat to their, either their livelihood or their soul defined characteristic, which anything where their 10, 20, 30,000 hours of work could get slighted by an image compiler. I go, well, on the one hand, yes, I absolutely see that. But on the other, I'd be really reinventing that you don't need to be a remix and yeah. everything we've done is a remix. All of our like, compositional types, like Coleman values, study, and Adam, storytelling, it's all on the shoulders of Johnny's. And if you think that it isn't, then you have to go back to your cabin, Mr. Solitary, Long G, or his, and, and live in Walden's comment because the rest of us have been lifting from each other's right. I know it doesn't excuse it because it was grievously insulting that you're not consulting, you're not asked. But if you look at your terms and conditions and insight that you sign up to put pictures to post for the mosing, we signed out every day. It should be mine. Anytime. I'm, and I'm not an expert in this, but the, the tough thing is I think a lot of people who are not technical think, think there's almost like, um, like a, like a big file system where they're like leafing through these files and they're pulling out this image and they're stitching that to that, stitching that to that. It's not that there's this weird, crazy, large mathematical model, literally just a bunch of floating point numbers. And somehow yeah. that floating point numbers thing has this like latent memory of all these artistic things. Like if you say Captain America, it's going to spit out a Captain America that looks kind of like this, but it doesn't know, like it's, it can't reverse engineer and reference like where it got that from. So it's this, I don't know the, the lawyers have to figure it out, but it's, um, it's not as cut and dry, I think, as some of the, the artists think. It seems, it seems to be, um, I, I made a point that when it sh first reared up, I remember seeing Art Creator a few years ago, and I said, this is going to be a thing. Watch the fucking. And I'm no great prognostic either. I'm not forecasting in the markets going on fun on talk shows. But I knew it well enough to know, okay, well, it's doing image compilation. And... There's only seven basic compositions available to us. And then there's just variants there. Oh, it's, it's, it's an animal. And you're not meant to have photographic recall of any of these things. You're not meant to have a granular understanding of this. If you're a visual storyteller, you work with certain forms, colors, shapes, and, and ideas. And I realize, you know, this conversation is like, well, I, I thought the first thing that I should do is get educated. And so I signed up to a couple of different AI newsletters to find out. Yes. Walk me through it. Tell me what the applications are doing. Tell me what the uh, checks and balances are doing. The, the, the AI acts are going to reflect how it Have you played with uh, Mid Journey that yeah, one? Sure. Have you played with that one? And that one I feel like is the best one right now, in my opinion. I think Control Net's pretty interesting too for uprising. But again, because everything's getting behind paywalls and such a which are rapid way, this is very quickly going to become, you know, kind of a, you know, a, a, a sort of a boutique indulgence. I think at this juncture, um, I knew when it was free, when they did the beta testing street for everybody, I was like, that's a master stroke because they, they could a sample size exponentially larger than anything you could do with the control Z and it makes up a fun, novel and interesting, just like, you know, GPS code systems being used for Pokemon Go. It, anything that's available to everybody, it's just fun, it's being used for another purpose. So 
and and I'm not even conspiracy theorist. I just accept that that's exactly what's happened and being used as a a sample. If you're not paying, you're part of the product, right? That's what they say. <laughs> but now that you're paying for mid-trip, um, that has funneled down the number of participants in that sense. So it's become where it's starting to look insipidly derivative of itself because, again, sample size in this case shockingly small compared to the, the ultimate beta. But that's... Have you done stable diffusion at all? For it? Stable diffusion, is that part of control net? Is that the same thing? Uh, control net is... Well, a different package than Plaxlon, slightly different. Okay. Uh, like, there's something called Stable Diffusion that has all these plugins. It's like open source and yeah. um, you do it on your own machine and you, 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 don't, you can basically train your own model based on your own art style and not like have to give your art up to the, to the ether. <laughs> this is a, these, these are very clear real-time adjustments being made in the, in the conversation because to me... The, the only t the, the distinction you make always is agency and intention. And humans have agency and intention. And the image compiler will never have either of those two things. When it starts to create an art style that humans have never seen before, then you might be in trouble. But, <laughs> but until such time, because it's literally, and this is, it, it, these are children. These are kind of yeah. children in a, in a nursery school. And they're running around and they got a bunch of frameworks and that's all it can do. And you know, from programming that everything has a player has a kill switch. So it's built by it. And even when it's making itself, it still has to kill switch. Like it doesn't suddenly go, well, the kill switch is not going to work for us. It's just the most. So at the moment, anyway, um, I just look at it like a really kind of remarkable and novel experiment and yielding yeah. some phenomenal results. And I also, uh, it kind of woke me up a little bit, I have to say, a bit, a bit of a slumbering bearer. And I saw some of the output and I'm going, well, that's really phenomenal. See, the thing that it, I think concerns people though, is like, oh my God, it got so fast at 13, but that's all it does at a scale that you can possibly imagine. You're simply an ex you're, you're simply a single digit in a sea of imagery. And if you feel like you're threatened by a platform that's being used by millions of people simultaneously to sample all images available digitally in the video at any point in time, but you're concerned that in a matter of months it got far more refined in this processing. You know, can do hands. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you, 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 I said, well, can you? <laughs> Most people I know can't draw hands for shit. That's why there's, that was such a funny work. meme in the, in the community where people are like, you can do hands. <laughs> Wait for it. it well, be better hands than you. Um, but I think as a, as a novelty and you know, as a boutique experience, um, it's really remarkable. But the minute it got behind a paywall, I was like, okay, man, this is what I tell my folks, and, and this may not apply to all artists, but I say, look, like this is a, this isn't, if, if you're a consumer of art as a, as a business, like a, a business person or as a, and just average person buying fine art, you're not going to go into mid journey or Dolly and like make your own art. This is now just like another tool in your tool belt. It's like an advanced Photoshop and you can rapidly prototype through a lot of ideas and concepts much faster than you could have otherwise, and then take that and 
make whatever work you want to actually make with that as like part of your creative process. What are your thoughts on that I, sort of perspective? Yeah, you're right. I think it's an attenuation. Uh, one thing that's the, if every artist is, well, you know, I just, this is how I do it. I try to do a process. I'll sit the fuck down. Bob is. Do you, do you, do you, do you grow the tree? Then you turn into the wood of the pencil. Do you mine your own graphite? Like how, how pure are we getting? Help <laughs> themselves to everybody else's stuff. I think I, I, this is the best. I said, okay, imagine you have to do a piece, right? You, you got created a brief. What do you do? What's the first thing you do to look at other people's work? Yeah. You go look for inspiration. <laughs> you look at other people's work, whether that's an architect from 500 years ago or whether that's an artist on art station, doesn't matter. You go look at a bunch of stuff and you pull it into a fold. You got about fucking 50 inspiration images. You tell me you're not doing that. You're a line sex shit. So do a version of that. So that's your sample size. You look at that and what do you do? It take the best features out of each of them. That's pretty cool. Okay. So mid journey does it, but it's not a first class. Okay. Yeah. Program. And it has no intention. It's not trying to ruin you or fuck with your life. They shit on your art. It's still helping itself to sample things. Well, it's doing, but you are a person with agency and intention and you're doing that. And, so, and the output of that tool is only as good as the prompt and the agency you put into your prompt and the intention you put into your prompt 100%. to give it advice and guardrails. Yeah. And I, if, uh, for one, again, I, I truly am listening to both. Does this become a launching salvos across a no man's land? Really? And it's kind of embarrassing. I think this is more of a circular conversation, yeah. but, uh, and, it, and it's not a conversation that should turn into an art. I think it's a conversation that should be and continue to feed a conversation. And what is it? How is it impacting that I've been chosen to participate or just be upset? Because to me, this is the time when artists who are traditionally like, hey man, keep your thin for shit. This is the first time they've been called to order, at least in my generation. Because remember, uh, the air breath was going to put everyone out of business. No. no. <laughs> this, this to me is the equivalent uh, of, of a limited release preaching yes. event. It's a sea change as long as you're standing in the water. So I look at it like it is really a powerful suite of opportunity. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean I necessarily need to use it. It doesn't mean I necessarily yeah. incorporate it into my work in any way, but I do agree with you that in terms of, for example, I sometimes struggle with light management. I know this to be true. I'm using Unreal Engine 5 a lot these days, and that's helping a lot, of course, because it allows me real time to build in 3D space. It gets a really excellent output. I still have to go in and clean that shit up. Of course you do. You have to do it by, you have to, in any of the, this raw output still looks like raw output, no matter how good it is, you've got to get it in there gig. So for me, when I look at some of the mid-journey slides, one, two steps that's punched out off the hopper. The one thing that it does, which I'm sensitive to, because I've just mentioned, I sometimes struggle with light management, complex lighting scenarios, especially single care if you're standing in an alleyway, you know, back to it, that's not hard to make, but when it's a, like all sorts of geometry fighting itself, you had three different light sources. You can't track that visually. 
And if someone says that they can do that just off the, off the cuff, they're lions, fucking turd. They need graphics. They need machines to help them. Nothing wrong with that. You can't make a movie without a camera. Same idea. You've got a light set it down. I look at it as the exact same way. So I'm trying to tell a story and my light management can be a little iffy now and then. And I know I'm fudging and I know I'm kind of shit around and finding out. But uh, I also don't want to do fantasy lighting, which is normally unjustified lighting from about eight different directions all that stated. I want to do, and 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 the, and, and the, the viewer can tell there's something off about this. It doesn't you know, like, doesn't look logical subconsciously. What, why yeah. is there a lit vimlight? <laughs> but I understand why people do it because it's got a good effect. But I'd rather have my stuff a little more grounded. That's just me. So light man, I looked. I especially sensitive and aware of light management speed. So on emails, they know what they're doing. Like they do. Are they lighting a scene like a director of photography? Or are they lighting a scene like a fantasy painter from 1970? I'd rather be the guy who lights it like a director's photography. Because I think, at least in terms of stories I'm trying to tell, because I do work in film, it has to appeal directly to that brain state. And even when I'm doing personal work, it's still something I prefer. It's a bias on my part. I'm not speaking for anyone else, but it's a bias for me. And I find that the results that I get speak to me. Meaning city, uh, when I, when I light scenes. So gotcha. short of doing something on real size, uh, when I see mid journey, some of its color management is just fucking fantastic. And I go, well, I'm not going to get upset because it literally crushed the results based on 10,000 samples of, of, uh, some of the finest Best to breed work you take away at three eight. And by the way, also for us, fantasy artists are like, he stole it from me. Fuck off. He stole it over here. Get over yourself. Your composition is not known. Now, you can be a fit. There, 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 there's some there's some sort of like latent mathematical representation of your work that, that that's out there. That, that this thing is somehow like reverse engineering, right? And distilling down. And that is like so. Yeah, I don't know. There's just something wild about it. And I'm uh, 100% on board with uh, regulation and he has oversights. And even even the head of, of OpenAI's calling for regulation. And I know why. And you should know why too. Because when you're regulated, you can sell your company. So he's just looking at a billion dollar buyout. And I don't blame him. Because he's going to make multiple billions off that company. So he's saying, please regulate us. And you're like, do you know what he said? He said, he said, um, there's a meaningful chance that OpenAI might capture the entire light cone of all economic output in the future. So I think he's looking for more than a billion dollar. <laughs> Probably a, exit. I mean, that's like, about, like a ransom note. That's, that's a pretty, pretty that's a pretty ambitious statement to make, you know? Um, so no, but I get your point. I think, I think, I think, so, I think there is, um, subconsciously, consciously, the people that are asking for the regulation, that will allow them to kind of pull up the ladder behind them, perhaps a bit, and just slow down the sort of chatter. But this this stuff's out of the box. I mean, if, if you can run Stable Diffusion on your own computer, you can run a web scraper, like people will pull in images, whether it's regulate, like following the regulations or not. Like I don't, it's kind of like, it's out of the box. So you have to figure out how do you want to respond in this world? And um, 
the other thing I tell my artists is, um, you know, this, this movement, this new technology has brought so much attention and discussion to art before that sometimes when that happens, it actually then educates the market on it. And then you have all of a sudden people investing in custom art, original art, commission art that would not have done otherwise. So now all of a sudden you think it's going to take everyone's jobs that actually gets more work and more jobs out there. Do you know what I mean? Can we pause for just a second? Yeah, sure. Um, let me see if there's a way to do that. Stop. I think the, uh, the exciting part is of what any, any time there's any, any one of these, um, breakthroughs, regardless of the scale of that breakthrough. So there's a chime when people are concerned everybody's job is going to be taken by airbrushes. Well, unless you've got a book event, uh, no, nothing's going to happen. doing more bullish like the tanks. <laughs> And, and a little bit of, you know, miniatures. Uh, so yeah, it didn't, it didn't really, uh, yeah, it didn't really become an apocalypse scenario. And this certainly is a one eye that I think Tiller has nature prevailed. The problem is it doesn't make it for exciting headlines. It's like they, no, if you're saying just give it a second. Yeah. Just so was me Chica Oh, are you really that beholden to that ideology? Like your job's going to be there. It's just the way you do the work is going to change. And probably. You know, the, the, I think some of the most outspoken critics are going to do some of the ones that are going to gain the most or stand to gain the most from this conversation. That, for example, AIs run subroutines in animation for many times doing in between what? Because it, it's best kept scenarios, but not like the in, in, interpolating between two different stills and something like that. Yes. Because it's, it's data sets are comprehensive versus an actual in-betweener. Nobody likes doing in-between work in animation. They say they do, they're lying. <laughs> uh, cause nobody does ask any animators like, I'm like, so what do you do? You create a subtree to run and support in-between work because humans don't like to do it. like to do keyframes. So is that working in service of a greater good? Certainly. Is it taking someone's job? I see. Always. But this is a very, this is a secret example. But all of a sudden, if, if you have that new subroutine, then that person can just, there's, there's, it, when it comes to knowledge work, there's always more work to be done. So it just means that you make more movies, make more content, you make more, and, and there's going to be people that want to consume it. So I don't know, I'm, I'm bullish about all this. Well, they're, they're doing the heavy lifting. If you want, if you want AI to do heavy lifting, it's not going to have a single grievance about it. It's not going to, you know. Both strike actions you could do anything is simply going to work course because it's in service. And if anything's in service, then that allows you, like you said, more knowledge, higher, higher function work. Because more focus on story, you know, yeah, make a, make a fantastic story. And if AI does it, you know, everyone's going to take their Oscar and go home any, but you're like, I'd like to thank AI for being all the shitty work on this game. I think that's a perfectly responsible thing to do, but, uh, I also understand, and so internet, you don't have to come at me. I'm not an advocate. I'm not a, certainly not a exacerbator that's anti I'm gathering facts and information in a responsible adult way in my occupation that may have significant effect as a tree. That's my right. way of life. I'm, right. I'm not rushing to judgment. Um, superficially, I can say some of the update I've seen is, is fucking phenomenal. It's very limited. What's interesting is I think with any new medium, right? People first start doing what you could do in an old medium in the new one. 
right? It's just pouring over. But then all of a sudden these people start coming out and they are doing things that are totally different or wholly new. And I feel like I see on Twitter, on Discord, there's some new stuff that's coming out that's people really putting the medium through its paces. And you're like, okay, this is going to become its own thing. It's going to push things forward in a certain way. Just exciting. I, I'm, I'm really excited by that too, because again, when, you know, the, the old, the argument is like, you remember an iRobot, the one telling moment where is he, you know, can, robots can't write a symphony. looks at me as, can you? <laughs> I, I don't disagree with that as, as a very oversimplification of, of, I think, a far more complex discussion. But I think creativity um, shouldn't be overvalued. I think humans have a propensity sometimes to think that which is mysterious and unknowable unquantifiable, if we describe the word imagination, it doesn't seem to have scale, the wave gravity, the color even, it's just a say, concept. I think some of the people that I had conversations with, I think, yeah, I wasn't calling anyone out, they were just exchanging ideas and hot traits. And that's all it was, superficial stuff. I said, what, what concerns me is that you're overvaluing this characteristic that you seem to have, you know, the, like me, has a pipeline period, and you're able to access this his bank possibilities. You have the accent, see weird shapes and strange colors because it's all been based on what you've chosen to see. And I'm with you. I think AI is doing things in fractal spaces, for example, and Mandelbrot spaces. seasons weird, but the humans just aren't doing. People just aren't doing because they're like, oh, it's too much fucking work. But when you see it, you go, wow, that looks like a person made yeah. that. You're like, is that really important? Don't do this shit. Everybody I know is complaining about this stuff, uses computers. Excuse me, on the daily. If it wasn't for programs, software programs, doing the background, the invisible heavy lifting, it's me. I wouldn't have a career. I'd have, yeah, maybe I've drawn cons. But to be able to tell stories the way I do, in my very modest and limited it without the aiding and abetting of several platforms working in conjunction this letter here, I wouldn't be able to realize half of the explosions behind my eyes that I've been able to. Right. And I acknowledge my debt and share my gratitude. Flannel tangies. It's like, it's like the horsepower of your creative output can be higher, you know, this, when this you leverage these three to your engine. I'd say, right. um, you're given a certain number of horsepower when you start out and you all start with pencil and paper and crayons and markers and everything else. And I realized very early, toward, especially toward, rather towards the end of my run at BioWare, as software was, was getting better and better, it was like, I'm not going to be able to tell stories like I used to. I'm going to have to create a new thing because Every, every time I close my eyes, I bring the things I can't get there with the media I have. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that, you know, some breakthrough playing here, I'm not playing any steps to imagination, but I think I probably share that with a great number of people learn to embrace digital as another way to tell a story, but the story has got to be good. Otherwise it just looks like that, didn't you? Right. Um, and I mean, I can, I can accuse myself of that more and so then my share, my fair share of Turns and I've cloned them too, made them look as polished as they can be. It's still a shit idea. 
but the, the debt to which we owe the, I think largely, and it's not a master slave relationship. I think it's a service relationship. If you, you can't kind of keep having these conversations that, you know, uh, your phone is, is your master or, or you know, it's a conflict. I think these are, might be missing the point, at least for me, that it's another platform, it's another venue that you can choose to incorporate or not, but I think it's at your pedal year game. What is it called? Like a, you're, it makes us bionic, right? Yeah. <laughs> it works. And, and I mean, I think we have a superficial version. Some people have a superficial version of that, which is supposed to be fully integrated. In, in singularity, you know, and, and it's really not, we're not asking to be a cybernetic organizing, really suggesting that you have a, a healthy and responsible relationship with technology. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you know what I'm most excited about? What's that? Have you seen what the folks at Runway ML have been doing? Have you seen any of their demos with the uh, video animations and things? No, but so what, what they. What they're, I'll have to send you a link after, but what they're doing is, let's say you can just basically film a basic video with your camera, your, your smartphone camera, and then you can give it some animated stills, like an animated still that looks like you're Indiana Jones in a temple with lava all around you, you're jumping around rocks, and it can basically take that one still and then you with AI automatically animate the video and overlay animation. So you're walking around your kitchen, jumping from pillow to pillow, but then it knows that, that you wanted to turn the ground into lava and the pillows right. into rocks. Right. And it's doing that automatically. Have you seen anything like that? I have seen, I didn't know that that was the name of the company, but I've seen several pieces of concept videos in that regard. Yeah. yeah. So the most recent one I saw was somebody took a scene from Harry Potter, you know, the actual Harry Potter movie, high production Hollywood movie, and they then turn it into a Japanese anime style overlay. And it was the coolest thing. <laughs> I've seen several uh, working concepts clips of a similar, of a similar form where they'll have uh, pre-existing footage and give it a treatment. And some of them are, are phenomenal and I'm here for it all day long. But I think given the novelty in, in terms of it's useful, linear. It's something we've always wanted to be and something we've always done. Well, well think about like remix culture is least, where would you expect it to ultimately, it's never going to end. The demos are remixes right now. Right. And, and it's not, it's not going to end, but where my mind goes is you think about our best cultural products, you know, as a civilization, like the star Wars and Pixar and things like that. I think this technology is going to allow there to be a thousand Pixar's. Right. You can get five guys and gals together, one story guy, one animator, one this, one that, and you can just pump out culture and interesting stories for more niche audiences. Um, and if you think that like things have gotten kind of monotone and, and everyone's just rehashing things in Hollywood right now, which I think for better or for worse, a lot of that is happening. I think we're going to hopefully see a new renaissance of original stories and, you know, narratives well, being cool with that. You're, you're, uh, a participant, an active participant, and a, a guiding light in the creative community. And with that community is autonomy. And I think the, the far more telling concern for anybody who's creating anything should be TikTok. I don't think you should be concerned about midterm. 
not because I think TikTok is nefarious. I think that TikTok has been supplant of mainstream commercial media as a dominant form of communication. And they said, well, you know, those who he's, we Chinese created it. I said, yeah, no, but you participate. Right. I don't know. I don't know if a country of origin is critical to, to the quality of, of content. Cause I spend, I spend not a ton of time tethered to my phone, but when I do, I jump onto TikTok because I get some laughs from people I've never met who don't yeah. appear to be famous, but are hilarious. Yeah. I guess. TikTok, Instagram reels, YouTube shorts, this, this short form video is the new cutting edge of media, right? And, now. Uh, again, are you, if you, if you're concerned, someone's concerned as well, it's going to take my job and say, well, learn to tell a second story. Because you have these enormous opportunities to, to do this. I think the dinosaur of Hollywood, you can, you can literally listen to its last gas. If in the conversation, in the conversation, this is somebody who works in the industry with, with a varying degree of, of enthusiasm to that, uh, like most people were at say, certainly the dream. Um, or living the dream, let's both, you know, either cash phrase, circling the dream, <laughs> circling the dream, living the dream, <laughs> living the dream. <laughs> but, uh, with that though, it is, it is, uh, has probably by the older definition, uh, the broadest bleach and it's like wildly inaccurate. I, I don't think that's been relevant since the rise of smartphones. Especially the rise of smart things, what were were capable of hey, deep multitasking. Like in the old early, I had to spend 10, 10 cents on the text. It was a different time. Right. But now, clearly, I have access to the world. And it's curated for me. So I get a singular experience on the basis of my choices. An algorithm isn't a bad word. Um, I appreciate it. It's sorting out the nonsense and kind of focusing on my interests. If I like, Watching people paint minis, I'm going to get a bunch of videos be paint minis because I want to spoke to someone a lot. And at a fundamental level, yeah, what the algorithm is doing is just serving yeah. up what you psychologically want service. as a human being. So yeah. it's service. It's not some nefariously setting traps for me. Although sometimes there are thirst traps in my soul. I don't know how to I never look at any of that stuff. But it it's in service it's in service of of asked demand in the florida and i still am a bit perplexed when people are like well you know it's going to do this and make the socks least and have this well whole story yet because you literally least have to be found and tell a story and that's all you really need to do it's like in the end i think what it amounts to is a desire to communicate but those terms and conditions of a, a desire to connect, it's often people getting in the way of that wanting to share a moment and saying, yeah, we're stuck on this together and let's see what we can do to make this a little better for it. Uh, and I think AI is just the latest in a long line or, you know, chicken little scenarios for some of the population and run into the fire for others. Yep. Um, and I'm the guy who tends to make sure everybody's okay first. Are you all right? Are you good? I mean, I make my decision. Right. I like, I well, it's like, like when anytime there's change, oh, bit. change is always opportunity, right? If you can keep your ear to the ground, be open-minded, be humble, 
look and learn and listen, um, you'll be able to That's navigate things. Missing here. Um, I agree with you absolutely. Is it, you, you look and you'll learn. But what's, what seems to be the, the key ingredient that hasn't been happening in that formula story, sort of uh, origin to selling lies, is listening. Because everyone's appointed themselves a, a fucking expert on AI. And the first thing I did was, like, well, I'm not. <laughs> so I'm not doing, I am not going on record anywhere. Other than here to say, I think it's a, a remarkable open-ended conversation. And there's going to be some surprises for everybody along the way, because we, we tend to trip, stumble and follow on a lot of this. And other times we have these unexpected wonders. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't what new. This isn't fucking Skynet. Didn't stop it though. <laughs> it's, it's going to, it's going to surprise us in its service to our benefit. I think like, the most important thing is to our benefit, to our undying gratitude, we will find yes. that this will serve us, uh, our experience and enrich it as opposed to, you know, diminish our humanity, stealing our creativity. It's like, motherfucker, you were never created. Did I tell you how I, I used it recently to make an ebook? Did I tell you about this? No. So I have a 32 hour video course, training course for my artists, right? I. Took, took all that content and I used a API that lets me transcribe it with AI. It was like 99% accurate. Um, wrote, used some AI to help me write some glue code to actually send all the videos there and do all that. So yeah. I get 350,000 words back. Now I have to summarize that in it because that's way too long for a book. So then I use another AI API to synthesize that down to about 45,000 words. And then I spent about a day manually reading it all, making sure it made logical sense, making edits, things like that. But it was a lot less than I thought I'd need to do. And it's basically just summarizing what I already come up with, my already created output. And then I use another AI thing to uh, take the text and um, have it be read in my voice as an for an audiobook. And can you imagine if if you tried to do that even two years ago, it would be, you know, a multi-person nine month, six month project, maybe longer. Right. And I did that in about seven days. It's seven days. Seven days. In service of your project. Yeah. Take and liberties. Did it try to rewrite you in any no. way, shape or form? It was in service. Yeah. It basically was just like buffing out the edges, but in just summarizing things and, and I'm reading it and I was thought, I thought I would have to do a lot more sort of like surgical edits, but no, it was just like, oh, this paragraph is kind of repetitive of the next paragraph. So I'll just cut a paragraph make this flow. And it was just, it was, it was really fun. <laughs> okay. Time saving. Cool. Yeah. In summary, it's time saving too. And now because it was time saving, the hundreds of people that have gotten the book have benefited from my knowledge and wisdom in that format much faster than they would have otherwise. Right. So everyone else benefits from that too. I, I maintain that um, I think it's going to be surprising how many of the um, most most vocal critics of this will be utilizing it. Anyway, you know, I know you're you're participating in it. You're not a, a critic of it. Not a critic. I am. I am. I'm sure you're in conversation with them. Yeah. yeah, I'm almost in a daily, almost on the daily. But these are also people who, damn, been a daylight in the dollar shirt most of the lives. 
Right. It's bigger, well, it's just another in a long list of grievances that you blame someone else. They all the shit and decisions eat. It's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to hear, but, but that does, I think that does apply. Who knows, but it applies to some people out there. I'm sure that that is a convicting thing. And I think there's something to that. Like it's easier to blame something outside yourself than, um, you know, looking inward <laughs> yeah, just, and why you're not where you want to be. It, it's, I, I think we have uh, the opportunity of access to an ecosystem of storytelling tools that are all in service of our interests. Like, for example, it's, it's, if I pull up uh, Photoshop, Photoshop is going to draw the same thing. Yeah. I have to form attention with agency. And, yeah. And I think there's something really kind of extraordinary that day. And yeah. I'll never fall out of love with it, the extraordinary. I think it's always going to be, uh, it's always going to be a rough scene. We'll all just sell my old photo. Well, John, this has been awesome. Um, I feel like we're barely scratching the surface. We haven't talked about your later comic books, movies, TV that you've done. So will you come back and can we do another one of these and talk a bit more in the future? Absolutely. I'd love to. That'd be great. Cool. cool. So so if people want to learn more about you today, where can they find more about you online? Um, I have a pseudonym because every good artist needs a Banksy monitor. Uh, you can find me uh, Uncanny Max. Uncanny like the X-Men, Mac like my Sharona. Anywhere. K-N-A-C-K. K-N-A-C-K. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, of course. Um, I also, I'm still, I'm still an old, uh, advocate for, uh, deviant art, even though it's been overwhelmed with AI art. There's still some, some creators on there. I think got good on the starts and the ball has been good to me. So I'm over there too. Um, and I'm of course on Facebook. Feel free to follow. I think I'm in chapter on friends, but, um, yeah, I tend to share work pretty frequently. Um, if I'm underground and you're going to see a lot of both things, it's usually because I'm working or something. Uh, it's nothing pushy. And, uh, you can reach, reach me at my art store too. If you want to hang something on your wall, real art done by real people. Uh, and that's John Gallagher art.com. And, uh, again, I think we, I didn't really talk about it, but soon enough will have, and we can discuss this in our second conversation, but. Um, I'm in the very early stages of putting together in my website or my, uh, podcast called uncanny knack, living the question where the question is, what's this art life all about? And that's what I'm living. See, yeah, pretty cool. Uh, and I get to talk to people way more interesting than me about what they do, how they're trade craft. And that's, uh, not just illustrators, but makeup artists mm-hmm. and hair designers, photographers, sculptors, every possible application in the creative process, including some high-level programs. So I think, uh, there's, there's some pretty interesting stuff coming up. Cool. I'd happy, I'd be happy to have everybody follow me along and like, you know, hopefully I'm available and I share what I can. Well, thanks so much, John. Really appreciate it. This has been great. Absolutely. Eric. It's always a pleasure to see you, my son. All right. Thanks. Bye everybody. All right. Take care. Thanks for tuning in today. If you haven't picked up a copy of the Unstarving Artist book, go ahead and pick up yours at unstarvingartistbook.com. See you next time.